welcome back to the AirPod. We've had a week off. We are feeling refreshed, rejuvenated. The sun is out. Maggie, how are you doing? We're ready for anything, right, Elmid? <laughs> <laughs> this is the sunny side up episode yeah. of oh, the Oh, I like that. It's a, it's a good week. You know, we've got, we've got anniversary celebrations to talk mm-hmm. about. The Queen is back at work. You've been on a very interesting trip that she can't wait to ask you about later on. Um, but yeah, it feels like business as usual. It does. You're right. That's a good way to put it. It felt like we had some regular royal news and announcements, a, a little bit of the world getting hopefully closer to be back to normal. Yeah, exactly. I just took my mum for her second vaccination today. So that was my that's highlight big of the week. news. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, And it was uh, things moving forward in the royal family this week. We saw, of course, last Thursday or on April 22nd, uh, the royal mourning period come to an end. So we've kind of had a flutter of engagements this week as the royals all assemble and get back to their usual routine. Of course, starting with the Queen, who returned to, I guess, her pretty hectic life of royal duties um, with meetings and video calls. Uh, starting this week we saw her in fact I think she was the first family member to sort of officially Mm. return to duty she conducted virtual audiences with ambassadors from Latvia and Cote d'Ivoire on April 27th and she was then photographed during that time on her sort of video call screen I don't think Mm -hmm. they use zoom we always say it's zoom but I'm pretty sure they must have have no idea do we (laughs) ultra encrypted service going on you would hope so but yeah, like on Wednesday like she was hacking into the Queen's Zoom account now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wednesday she was full throttle. She hosted a Privy Council meeting. She had a call with the Prime Minister, and she conducted video calls with two newly appointed bishops. And I think that you know, look, when we talk about that sort of keep calm and carry on mm-hmm. nature of the Queen and her approach to her role. And I would say the way in which she conducts her life, this is really it in motion now. Um, And I I think that, listen, after what has no doubt been an incredibly difficult month for her, um, getting back to some normality is no doubt something she probably welcomed. And you make a good point. You know, she was one of the first family members out there, and I'm sure that was no accident, right? She wants to show Mm. people... Listen, we we grieved, we mourned, we had the official mourning, we also had private mourning, and clearly, you know, there's now a void for all of them that will never be filled. Grief doesn't go away. But by setting this example, saying, you know, life must go on, we must continue with our royal duties, I'll be the first one out there showing people sort of how it's done. Um, it's, it's a great sign. It also fits with the queen. I mean, all the stories we hear about her, it's just such a dedicated worker, someone who is going to, you know, co- committed to service and duty. And I think we saw that this week. And I, I don't know about you, Omid, but I also just loved seeing her again uh, on these Zoom calls. And we always love Zooms with the queen. Uh, you know, it's always kind of a delightful uh, photo. But to see her smile, you know, she had a big smile on during these Zoom calls as well. And so it was kind of a nice little check-in to see how she was doing. Exactly. We also had a sort of brief glimpse of her in her private time today. Photographs of her visiting or checking in on her, the long-loved horses um, of Prince Philip alongside his carriages. She was photographed inspecting them on the grounds of Windsor Castle. It's a rainy day. She's pictured sort of wrapped up against the weather. Um, but it would have no doubt been a 
solemn moment for mm. her because of course we know how much Prince Philip uh, sort of felt about his uh, hobby of riding horse and carriage. Uh, we saw that acknowledged at the funeral service and so for the Queen to inspect them um, and also a beloved hobby of his will no doubt have been I guess a, 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 a quiet moment for her mm. but I think at the same time, remembering his life is something that will always be part of her daily routine. Yeah, you know, like with anyone that's lost a loved one, it's not as if the pain goes away or the memories fade. So in some ways, it's nice to show, uh, you, you know, yes, we're going to keep working, but we're also going to have these moments where we acknowledge this person that we're missing as well and kind of shows the human side of, of, of what the family's feeling. Now, we also heard from Prince Charles this week, who spoke out about the India coronavirus crisis, mm -hmm. urging the public to back a newly launched oxygen appeal, uh, raising funds for oxygen concentrators to be sent to hospitals. I think as we begin to slowly move out of our darkest days mm -hmm. of the COVID-19 pandemic, we all are sort of watching aghast, I would say, at just sort of how difficult and desperate things are in India at the moment. Mm. And of course, Prince Charles, who is the founder of the British Asian Trust, and we've seen him very active in sort of supporting issues that affect even in uh, Indian and Southeast Asian communities here in the UK. Um, he sort of rallied together with the Indian Red Cross, ActionAid, Oxfam India and Save the Children to, su to support the country's health system with this new appeal so as well as signing um as well as encouraging those to donate for oxygen concentrators they're also asking for donations of ppe disinfection kits medical supplies and ambulances and i think we will see the world hopefully continue to make this global effort to support india during their time of need but it's great to see a royal family member not only acknowledge it because I think we're often used to that statement that comes mm. when a country is hit by a national disaster especially one that has close ties with the UK that from a royal family member but this wasn't just Charles sending his thoughts and prayers which he did but he was also urging people to support the Oxygen for India emergency appeal um, which was of course backed by the British Asian Trust and that's ultimately what we need right now action. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think, of, of course, the acknowledgement and, and, and sending thoughts is so important, but what's really important is the action behind it. I mean, just looking at some of the, the photos and videos and statistics that are coming out of India, it's, I mean, you're almost at a loss of words. Heartbreaking doesn't even start to describe it. Just all of the families, you know, hearing stories about families that say in the last week they've lost 14 family members. And mm. so sadly, that story is not unusual. And, you know, for so many Americans, uh, there are so many Indian Americans that still have grandparents and family in India right now. And I know, you know people are scared for their family that's living abroad and um, their loved ones that are, are dealing with this. And you know, as you mentioned, you know, we've been very lucky here in the UK and the US vaccination rollouts. And we had a pretty strict lockdown here in the UK, but we're sort of on the tail end of things. We're opening up. There's this excitement right now in the UK, you know, outdoor restaurants are open and we've been waiting yeah. for for months. And so it's it's. 
you know, in some ways you almost don't want to think about the bad things, right? You want to keep focusing on how good right we have it right now, all this positivity. But um, I think it's great that Charles took a moment to say, listen, yes, you know, things are looking up here in the UK, vaccine rollouts are positive, but we can't forget about our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world where for them, this is the worst it's ever been. I mean, we're, the numbers we're seeing are some of the worst we've seen in the entire world throughout this pandemic. And so um, for him to not only make that statement, but also send supplies and urge other people to support hopefully makes some sort of difference. Mm. Yeah, those numbers you refer to are, are sort of gobsmacking actually to yeah. read. Just yesterday it was 362,757 new infections in just 24 hours in India. That's a global record yeah. and over 3,300 deaths reported in that same period and you know things aren't aren't getting any better yeah. um, we also see support coming from across the pond from the royal family harry and Meghan uh, joining the likes of president joe biden selena gomez jennifer lopez ben affleck uh, kamala harris to appear in the vax live event for global citizen this is a televised concert taking place on may the 8th um, that is the theme is to sort of is the it's the concert to reunite the world but of course at the heart of it is to promote global equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines and of course India is very much um, at the center of that right now so this will also be an attempt I think for them to increase the public's confidence in the vaccination itself so Harry and Meghan have been picked as the event's campaign chairs and they're going to deliver a message of their own about vac vaccine equity during the broadcast. And, you know, this is also sort of part of them. They've already been leading a fundraising drive throughout the private sector. This continues with the couple also having led a fundraising drive throughout the private sector to raise money for COVAX, which is the mm. global vaccine sharing program. So this is, you know, it's great to see, I think, for them. You know, Harry and Meghan, despite being two people, seem to be involved in m much of the sort of issues affecting society at this time. I think they've proven to everyone that despite perhaps not being as visible as they once were or have been in some time, the work continues very much at home still. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. May, May 8th, as you mentioned, and... Uh, I think it'll be something that it'll be great for America to be a part of. And also, like you say, it's it's a worldwide issue and we're looking for worldwide support. So it's it's great that someone like Carrie and Megan that, you know, are this couple of the world uh, can, can be there to support and be leaders of. Yeah. Well, they're pre-taping it on May 2nd. So it'll be, in, I, I'm sure it'll remain under wraps because it's six days until it's actually broadcast around the world. And of course, you can watch it on ABC and ABC News Live and other stations on May 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Well, you know the royal family love to celebrate a milestone, <laughs> and I think this week was exactly that for the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, who marked their 10-year wedding anniversary wow. on April 29th. Uh, the, I think the traditional gift item for that is tin, so not particularly sexy. Really? Gift oh, good to know. For, for 10 years of hard work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I guess the, the good stuff still comes later on. But yeah, That's we nice kind of saw <laughs> efforts from Buckingham Palace and Kensington Palace throughout the week to acknowledge what has been a huge moment of celebration for William and Kate, uh, starting with, of course, those new portraits of the couple taken in the grounds of Kensington Palace. 
by the British photographer Chris Floyd. Uh, these photos were sort of quite similar to the engagement pictures that we saw taken by Mario Testino in 2010, which is 11 years ago. Thank oh. Um, so yes, a little. They're but they're both a little older, but both still happy as ever. I think those mm. smiles kind of told us everything we needed to know about how things are going. And I loved everyone kind of making the same comments. I can't believe the wedding was ten years ago. I'm sure that William and Kate feel the exact same way. Only then you see them with those three little ones, and you're like, you've done a lot in ten years when you look at it. Uh, they have achieved a lot and how things have changed, how their roles yeah. have changed, you know, as, of course, as Prince Philip uh, leaves a, a sort of large void in the royal family, we will see Prince Charles step into sort of a hybrid yeah. role for himself before, of course, one day he becomes the king and Prince William becomes the Prince of Wales. So we'll also see William and Kate sort of stepping up at the same time to take on some more of those responsibilities, you know, as as a sort of pressure on the monarchy to uh, prove itself and to survive the oncoming changes grows, the pool of active working royals is smaller than ever, in a way. Mm. Um, so this is, of course, a huge moment for William and Kate, but it will have no doubt been celebrated in a very public way, not just because we remember that day April 29th, 2011, where we all, wherever we were in the world, sat down to watch them get married. The first big royal wedding for many of this generation who weren't alive or born uh, during Charles and Diana's wedding. Um, but this is also a reminder that this is a couple that are stepping into some two very big roles very soon. And no doubt a reminder that despite that, they are still, or at least... These pictures will tell us that they are still as down-to-earth and normal as ever. And we also saw this down-to-earth side of them during the video they released. And, you know, it's somewhat rare for us, Omid, to, to see such a sort of in-depth look at their life, their lives as a family, right? This video that they put out, it showed Will and Kate together with the three kids, and they were um, hiking. And for me as an American, too, it looked so quintessentially British. If you guys haven't seen it yet, it's like <laughs> the skies are gray, it's about to rain, but the whole family bundled up in their bed best English looking gear and is still outside hanging out and it just like screamed Britain to me. <laughs> it really did. That is the Isn't kind of it? typical British family day out is you, mm -hmm. you pack for the sun in the morning yep, but you've yep. also got the, the coats and wellies <laughs> in, the, in the trunk of the car. <laughs> but it was a sweet montage. It was put together by filmmaker Will Maher. I would imagine some time ago because although we don't have a concrete ID on the dog, but it seems like Lupo makes an appearance in, the, in the video, which of course we know Lupo has sadly passed away, mm. unless of course their new addition to the family has already grown impressively interesting in those are some but, eagle eyes omid uh, you know i'm i listen i'm, I'm, I'm always <laughs> just here for the dogs like. <laughs> Dog but watch. this was them you know i think a peek into their private family life it was taken on the beach near their family home in norfolk and mahal as you say it was the hiking running running around in the fields louis and charlotte on a seesaw together marshmallows by the fire pit I saw someone else say this this week, but it almost reminded me of a presidential campaign video <laughs> without the talking. It was just like the perfect family and 
this could be you, <laughs> Will and Kate 2024. <laughs> I love that you said that it was quintessentially British because I think Barber, the, the British yes. band that we know is a royal family favourite, featured heavily throughout this video and I from what I hear the the traffic on their website since that video has come out which has an alarming number of likes or a, a huge amount of likes on uh, on the Kensington Palace Instagram account right now their website was inundated with requests really the wow by them. in fact do you uh, now that you've been living here for long enough, do you own any items of Barber clothing? It's more like how many items do I own? Okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, been, I've been known to have a few. Well, I have to blend with my new country, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, just what, wandering around Chelsea in your Barber jacket and hunt, hunt, hunt welling. Yeah, I just, you know, I want people to think I'm British. <laughs> well, you're doing a very good job. You know, Thank you so much. Listen, I think this week has been a nice reminder of almost a, a sort of gentler, calmer time in royal in the world of royal reporting. Yeah, I, I cast my mind back to that royal wedding in 2011. It was the first big royal mm. event that I had covered. You know, I had already sort of covered a number of engagements, but as many of you will know, I really didn't sort of dip my toe into the world of royal reporting until William and Kate got engaged. In fact, I had very little interest in the royals prior to that. Um, but I think my my introduction into the sort of pomp and circumstance that comes with these events, uh, particularly with a royal wedding, was sort of the thing that was like, oh yeah, this is different. This is different to the Cannes Film Festival or the Oscars mm. red carpet mm -hmm. or any of the other stuff I've done. This is something special and I'll always have really fond memories of that day but also I don't know about you memories of things that perhaps weren't the main big ticket items of the day. So what do you remember then Omid? That's the question. <laughs> My sort of first thoughts when it comes to royal wedding is always going to be Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie's hats. <laughs> They're fascinated sorry Thank and you in fact the so weird much. obsession that the world had with fascinators after that yeah. wedding well i know as an american watching it everyone was sort of confused if i'm honest a little bit like <laughs> what is going what are what are these what are these things and there were so many lists then i remember watching and it was like you know the top 10 royal hats and you just had it they almost looked like artwork that were on people's heads and i had never really seen anything like it before <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was a special day i remember you know, as they, as, as they got married, the Westminster Abbey bells were pealing and there were the two choirs singing as they finally sort of said their vows. But I remember there were some really sweet details that often get forgotten about with mm. the wedding itself. It was, there was a rehearsal that they had before the wedding itself that William said that his knees were literally trembling mm. in because he was so nervous about the big day. And then I remember speaking with a palisade who had actually been fortunate enough to see the couple before they stepped out onto the Buckingham Palace balcony to sort of greet the throngs of well-wishers yeah. gathered outside on the Mall in London and obviously share their kiss as husband and wife. And the, the aide said to me that they were just petrified. They were oh. sort of floating because they were so excited, but also petrified that there was almost so much pressure 
oh. on this moment to kiss in front of the world. Which, oh. when you think about it, it's probably then quite easy to get stage fright in a situation it is. like that. It is. That's a good reminder, isn't it? That, you know, I think you can often forget royals are people. But this was, you know, a young couple on their wedding day, excited to be married. And then they have to go, they'll go perform a kiss in front of millions on television and thousands watching below. Pressure. It was it was London's biggest production in probably yeah. since then actually I don't think there's huh. been anything like it. There were, there were one million people in the streets of London. Wow. Forty six foreign monarchs flew in for the for the nuptials, huh. and Westminster Abbey, which always has looked grand, I think had been they had spent about a year or close to preparing wow. the Abbey for the event. So all the gold leaf okay. inside the Abbey was re-leafed or whatever the word is for it. They had sandblasted the facade of the abbey and on the morning of they had someone vacuuming the lawn <laughs> before TV cameras got their shots because it went out to two, mil- two billion people wow. which is just that's a wow, impressive those numbers. Number. It's yeah. hard to wrap your mind around and you know I think we also have to talk about something else the dress. Well, yes, the, the 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 dress, which went on to inspire wedding looks for for yep. many years following. Yeah. Um, our our coworker James Longman was was doing a piece this Thursday for ABC about it, and he had my favorite bike. Is he got so excited? He actually said, "I think I fainted when I saw her in the dress." <laughs> <laughs> And I loved it because I think a lot of people sort of, you know, it was the first time probably for many people that it hit them that this, you know, woman is now marrying the future king of England. You know, like, I think we all knew that's what was happening. But all of a sudden seeing her in that dress standing next to William entering the church, it was just bam, like this is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that dress really was something special. It was Mm. Sarah Burton for Alexander McQueen. Um, she had, remember there was, she sort of had her old something borrowed, what, what is it? Something borrowed, something borrowed blue. Something, wait. Anyway, so, the blue oh my God, was... I should know this. Something, <laughs> something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Oof. That's the one. And yeah. for the blue, it was a little ribbon that she had sewn into, the, a blue ribbon that she had sewn into the lining of the dress. Um, but it was, that was also the day that Pippa Middleton became yes, a, household, a name. household name for some time and a household also because of her physique. dress yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i will say and you know what i love about that is that um she's become such an athlete now and very much someone that kind of holds her own in her own right i always think and you know probably better than i do what she's been competing in but you know she's someone that often uh, will be sort of competing in different types of races and things and it's uh it's cool to see her um, as a woman who is athletic and you know making her own stamp in that world yeah absolutely well this week i hear from sources that william and kate had sort of reached out to many of the people that were involved Mm. in the wedding day including cake maker fiona cairns so i don't know if you remember that cake but it was a work of art and i was Mm. lucky enough I don't know, I can't, I wish I could remember how, but a publicist at the time had managed to get a Fiona Cairns sort of miniature of their, what their exact cake would be at the time. And I'm I'm a sucker for anything just covered in fondant. Yeah. (laughs) And as much as fruitcakes, I feel, have gone a little out of fashion, is it, I'm kind of into them. I don't know why. Are you? (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know why. Is that so? Wait, what was the cake? It was a fruit cake. It was a multi-tiered fruit cake. Yeah. Wow. Decorated with cream and white icing. It had like a strong floral theme to it. Oh, um,、yeah. that sounds amazing. It was really nice, but yes.、Yeah, so Fiona Cairns received a letter from the from from Kate for this tenth、mm. anniversary, and I think that's been the same for a lot of the of the of the companies and individuals who were involved、mm. in that big wedding day. I actually have one memory before we move to a break. The night before the wedding, Kate stayed in a bridal suite at the Goring Hotel. The Goring is, of course, right round the corner from Buckingham Palace. It's a favourite of the Queen. I believe that her other family members were staying there as well. But I, really out of fluke, it was a sheer coincidence that I had booked a dinner table there the night before the wedding because a lot of my colleagues were in town at the time. And so we had a very early dinner because it was we wanted to all go to bed early that night, and we we're having dinner in the hotel. We all had beef Wellington, which is like one of their signature signature dishes.、Mm. And we looked over to the table opposite to us or right next to us, and it was Carol Middleton, Pippa Middleton, James Middleton, <laughs> all sort of having like their own last hurrah before、oh、gosh, the wedding day、amazing. itself.、And We chatted with Pippa and James very briefly, and they were just so excited、oh, about the thought of Kate having her big wedding day the next day. And and I think、oh. that it was nice to see the whole family sort of sharing that moment. So much has happened since then; it's quite hard to even fathom. Yeah. But yeah, there was a really simple time back then. I, I I don't mind looking back on it. But what a cool memory you have! I mean, to be right in there and a part of it, and also knowing that's kind of where you started your career in Royals. It's a nice decade to reflect back on, Omid. It is indeed.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until 2018 that I made Royals full time.、Um, I sort、mm. of gently took my steps forward. Was <laughs> <laughs> still it took a while for me to be sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a very quick break. Welcome back. If you've been watching Good Morning America this past week, you will have seen the Behind Palace Doors series, focusing on a behind-the-scenes look at royal families from around the world. And day one, Maggie, was you in Luxembourg for a rare look into what it's like to live in a modern monarchy, starting with the Grand Duchess of Luxembourg. You've just come back. I saw some of the. The guys, if you haven't seen it, do look it up on. I'm sure it's, it must be on your Instagram. If it isn't, please put it there, Maggie. There was this incredible <laughs> shot of you standing outside the palace in Luxembourg with the drone flying over、yes. just what looked like the. I'm just going to say it looked like the Disney castle. <laughs> I actually even said that in the beginning of my live shot for the piece. I was like, "This is going to be cheesy, but this is how I feel because I feel like I'm in a real world Disney World right now, and it's amazing." 
But gosh, Omid, what, I mean, I pinched myself a lucky moment. It actually all hit me because, you know, when you're rushing and you're traveling to get somewhere and especially in this day and age, it's, there's always complications. And so I was running late and I'm rushing straight to the castle to, to meet the Grand Duchess because, you know, we have a little meet before the actual interview. And uh, I, I'm fumbling in the car and I need to put, you know, change out of my sneakers, put my nice shoes on. And I'm not really thinking. And then all of a sudden the car pull rounds a corner and, and, and the castle's right there. And then he drives up and the, the gates open and we just like drive into the castle grounds. And then I go to get out and it all hit me all at once that I was like, you know, we're meeting the Grand Duchess, which is the country's queen. They call them her the Grand Duchess, but she's, you know, like the queen of the country. And, and it just, it all hit me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in a castle and I'm going to meet, you know, this country's the equivalent of the queen and we're about to have tea together. <laughs> <laughs> and it very much was like a, a pinch yourself moment, right? You know, this not many people get to experience that. And I felt so lucky. And, uh, you know, they could not have been more gracious, sort of peeling back the curtains on modern monarchy and what it's like to be a royal in today's day and age. It was just fascinating. Well, she has a really interesting life. As you say, she's the equivalent yeah. of Luxembourg's queen. But she was born in Cuba. Her family fled mm -hmm. to New York during the revolution after the new government confiscated her family's properties, but then they ended up settling in Geneva. And I think she also briefly lived in Santander in Spain as well. And then it was mm -hmm. while at university, she, then, she met the then crown prince, Henry of Luxembourg, yeah. which- Their love story is beyond Ovid. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> but she has probably, you know, I think we often have conversations about sort of what it's like being an mm -hmm. outsider marrying into yeah. royalty but she really opened up to you about sort of I guess assimilating to that way of life but also some of the sacrifices that one has to make as well I mean in the interview what really stood yeah. out to me is she said that you sort of give up your liberties you marry the mm -hmm. country and the crown at the same time as your partner yeah, you know, she, she was fascinating and such an interesting background. You, you mentioned that quote, it stuck out to me as well. And something she said was, you know, as someone who grew up in exile of their country, she often felt like, you know, she, she made a point to say she is Cuban through and through. She has a Cuban family. She identifies as Latina, but at the same time, she, she never had a country. And so when she married Henry the Grand Duke of Luxembourg, she was looking for a new country to call home. And she kind of embraced Luxembourg with open arms. And she said the people there really embraced her as well. It's her adopted country. She's now, you know, been the Grand Duchess of Luxembourg for 40 years. And she immediately learned Luxembourgish, the language, and wanted to really make people know that she was going to be um, their Grand Duchess. She was going to work for them. She dedicated her life to the service of the country and it was really important to her and you know she, she discussed the challenges of it she said she was again remember this is 40 years ago so she was one of the first outsiders to marry into a royal family just someone who wasn't royal marrying into a royal family she said there had only been you know three before her so she was very much on sort of the the new um, modern way royals were marrying she was at the beginning of that and also she was born in Cuba you know she wasn't born uh, to a European family so there were a lot of things that made her potentially feel like an outsider and she did say things were difficult you know I think in general she said just marrying into a royal family there are difficulties and it's a whole new life that you have to get used to living and she said it took time you know she really had to learn about the country learn about the family learn what it was like to be royal um, but she, she made the point to say you know after 
She learned how to, you know, work with the family, how to um, work with the country. She also made a point to bring in causes that were important to her and sort of put her own stamp on this role and, you know, make it known that she was going to be herself while still serving the country. And, you know, 40 years in, it seems like she learned how to strike this balance. And so it was a fascinating conversation to learn how she did this and, and how she's doing today. Mm. Well, you spent a considerable amount of time at the palace and with Maria Theresa, the Grand Duchess. So I want to go back a few days and take a listen to what it is that you guys spoke about. What advice would you give to someone who is an outsider? It is a life that demands more. And when you're confronted to situations where you cannot do what you would want to do, well, you're not going to denounce the whole system that you belong to. You're lucky to have married into this incredible family situation. I was born in Cuba. It's very special belonging to a Cuban family. It's joyful, it's happy, it's full of, uh, uh, it's Latin, it's, it's uh, full of life. Uh, and uh, it's, it, it is the root of who I am. When she was just three, her family fled during the revolution, finding refuge in New York City. After New York, she was studying in Geneva when she met her Prince Charming, Henry, the Grand Duke of Luxembourg. So here we are, beginning of university, and I meet this young boy, and I do know that I said to myself, um, we're going to keep a distance. Mm -hmm. The worst thing you can do is fall in love with a crown prince. What a problem. <laughs> that was my thought. You're one of the first outsiders to marry into a royal family yeah. anywhere. You're also not from a European background. You're Cuban. What was that like for you? At the time, it was not usual for a young girl who was not of the royal circle to marry into the royal circle. It had to be incredibly difficult. Here you are a young woman falling in love, the love of your life, and not knowing whether or not you'll be able to actually spend your lives together. Yeah, it was hard. And the more the years passed, the more stressful it became. Could you have ever dreamed that life would bring you here, Grand Duchess of Luxembourg, a royal family in Europe? <laughs> really not. No, 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 not at all. I would have people working for us in the household that would, uh, that would come and address me and say, Your Royal Highness. And once or twice, I did look in back at me to see who they were talking to. What my mother told me before I married, and I always kept that very close to my heart, she said to me, Maria, please don't ever change. Don't change. What you do realize is that you marry not only the Crown Prince as I married, but you also marry the institution and you marry the country. What was your reaction when you heard that Prince Harry and Meghan were going to be you know, stepping down as senior royals, moving to America, leaving the United Kingdom? Well, of course it's sad, but I wouldn't want to, um, to, to place a judgment now. I think that uh, it is a tremendous challenge to enter a royal family, and it is a tremendous honor and an incredible responsibility toward that family that accepts you with open arms. How much does your background play into uh, the way you are today? I have the, the spontaneity of the Cubans, but I also have learned through living in the States, in Switzerland, and now in Luxembourg, that you have to take time 
to reflect. That's where I say that all cultures have brought me a lot. Yeah, what an experience, Maggie. I mean, it, yeah. listen, you know what it's like when you're covering the British Royals. There is that sort of arm's length approach to mm -hmm. the access that we have. You know, we're there for the work, for the engagements. We are occasionally in the royal residences, but usually in the sort of areas that are there for members of the public or anyone that's there on an official visit. But you really got to experience sort of private life at the palace too. Yeah, you know, it was it was amazing to hear about. This is very much their private home. It's actually not open to the public. It's where they live. And um, the Grand Duke and Duchess had five or have five children that all, you know, spent some of their childhood in this house. One of the things the Grand Duchess told me, which I loved, was that uh, her kids used to play hide and seek throughout the castle, the dozens and dozens <laughs> of rooms that are in the castle, which just sounds epic. I mean, amazing. So, but it gives you this idea of what a family home it was. And so to, to see that was really special. And, you know, uh, the Grand Duchess and all of her staff were so gracious. They, you know, um, put lunch out for us and breakfast and so many teas and just above and beyond. It was really wonderful. And uh, as a side note, actually, they had, um, you know, Madeline's, the, the little yeah, pastries. Um, one of the uh, really famous chefs in the city is a woman and one of the first women to win some very prestigious pastry awards in the world. And she made the Madeleines for the castle. So let me tell you, I ate quite a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> and my other favorite little behind the scenes moment is something that of course Omid picked up on because Omid, as we know, you are the number one fan of Royal Dog Watch. And um, I love this because he noticed in the drone shot of us walking into the castle, this little dog running behind us. And Omid, it was so adorable. So uh, the little dog's name was Toffee, and he was always three steps behind the queen, uh, behind the Grand Duchess wherever she went. <laughs> like when I tell you that no matter where we were, Toffee was right there. Sometimes running ahead, sometimes running behind. Toffee was never more than three steps away from the Grand Duchess. It was so adorable. And another little fun fact is that they've always had dogs, not always small dogs like Toffee, but they um, had labs when the kids were young. And they at one point had a Newfoundland, one of those huge dogs yeah, that, that was it. there in the castle. So they went kind of from massive dogs to tiny dogs like Toffee and everything in between. So, you know, we love a good dog family. We do, we do. <laughs> well, what an experience. Um, I do think it will be some time before any member of the press is, is given the same kind of access to the royal family here in the UK. I do wonder. <laughs> but there has been some news this we week. If dream. you do want to visit Kensington Palace, it's going to be reopening to the public, or at least certain sections are, including the staterooms, including an exhibition, Royal Style in the Making. Mm. And I mention this because they've, so if you walk through Kensington Gardens at any point, you will have noticed a lot of works, building works taking place at Kensington Palace. And that's to turn the orangery into sort of an mm. exhibition space or the sort of newly conserved orangery. And so it'll be there that they explore the relationship between fashion designers and their royal clients. Of course, the most famous of which is Princess Diana's wedding dress. And this week, Prince Harry and Prince William have loaned Princess Diana's famous wedding dress to this new exhibition at Kensington Palace. So from June the 3rd, you'll actually be able to go there and check it out. And they'll also have other never-before-seen items from the archives of some of the most celebrated royal 
couturiers, I think I've said that right, of the 20th century. <laughs> uh, fascinating. And so I think it'll cover wow. the Queen Mother to Princess Margaret. But I thought it was really nice to see Harry and William come together to, to, to loan this to the exhibition, because of course this summer is also the summer that we'll be remembering Diana on what would have been her 60th birthday. And there is that statue unveiling that will take place at Kensington Palace, done by the brothers later in the year. Yeah, I know we've talked about that moment quite a bit. And uh, I think while there's a lot of focus on the brothers being together for that moment, it's also just imagine, you know, how, uh, what's even the word to describe it? There, there's just going to be so much emotion for that moment as well uh, to see, you know, them honoring their mother in that way. So uh, these, these types of announcements are always interesting because they're also filled with uh, so much heart and emotion as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Diana's wedding dress has probably just as much of an iconic history as the mm. Kate's dress that we spoke about earlier in the show. I don't know as much about it because I wasn't around <laughs> during the wedding. Uh, but I do know just how important that dress has become in the world of fashion too. The designers David and Elizabeth Emmanuel did it under strict secrecy at their Mayfair studio. Um, it was in the works. For, and it was also, this is the thing, the longest train in British royal history. I do remember reading 25 this. 25 yes, feet yes. long. Wow. That's, that's something. <laughs> it is something. It definitely makes a statement, that's for sure. Well, it's going to be beautiful. And what a you know special moment for the public to be able to see it. Exactly. Well, if you want any more information, check out the website for, for Historic Royal Palaces. They are over at hrp.org.uk. And that brings us to the end of the show, Maggie. I feel like it's been, we've been all over the world this week. <laughs> we've been all over the world this week. Oh. <laughs> it means it was a good week. It was, it was. Well, thank you guys, as always, for joining us. Big thanks to the team at ABC Audio in New York, including Anthony Alley, for putting the show together. Maggie, where can people find you? You know, if they want to check it out at Maggie Ruley, both on Instagram and Twitter. And yes, you can find Toffee on my Instagram, the dog. Love so that. I know that's what people really wanted to know. It'll all be there. <laughs> <laughs> I will be heading over right now. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, we'll look after yourselves and each other. We will be back with you next Friday with all the latest news on the British royal family and maybe royals elsewhere as well. Take care.